Yeah, we'll read um, Jonah. We'll start off in the first chapter and the first 16 verses. Now, if you can't find Jonah, uh, he's still there, but he's, he's in the back of, of, the, of the Old Testament. Um, now, the word of the Lord came to, to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and I hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us, give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then he said to them, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but I could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us, an, us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as, is, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the man feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So far the scripture reading.
morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Phil. It's my pleasure to welcome you alongside uh, Ezra as well, particularly if you're a guest this morning. Now, a couple of things before we start. Oh, we're about to jump into Jonah, as you might have just realised. And jumping into Jonah, um, well, some of you might not be jumping. If you're, in, if you're at the hub a few years ago, you might have heard this before. But if you weren't, you might have some concerns, and I think some of those concerns are legitimate. You might look at Jonah, you might have heard the story before, know a little bit about it, and hear about uh, storms and, and men being fo- swallowed by fish and, and the judgment of God, and you might say to yourself, did this really happen? And a church is really still teaching about this kind of thing. And if that's you, we really understand. Uh, we understand this type of thing doesn't happen every day, that it's different, that it can't be repeated and analysed scientifically and understood. But here at South Barman, we believe that the God who created science and who loves it and understands it and built this world with it, sometimes in his power and his desire to to impact us and his world, steps outside of science and does something special. And we call this a miracle. And when we read Jonah, that's how we understand it. God doing something very special, something miraculous, something that doesn't happen every day, but that should cause us to pay attention. So we're going to step into this now. Uh, Just as we do, uh, would you pray with me, please? Father God, we thank you that uh, you speak to us. We thank you that you speak to us every day and that you speak to us through your word. And we understand that you have preserved this story for thousands of years. Thank you that you've preserved it so we can understand it today and through it understand you. And we pray that you would be with us and help us to see you and to know you. We pray that you would show yourself to us this morning. Amen. Well, as case read, um, and in the first one of this series, we saw the story so far has been that Jonah uh, has been spoken to by God and he's been asked to go and do something, something he didn't want to do. He wanted to go, God asked him to go speak to the people of Nineveh and uh, tell them that God's judgment is coming. And Jonah didn't like the idea of that, so he ran away, Uh, a little bit childishly maybe, but he ran away. And he ran from, uh, instead of going to Nineveh, he ran completely the opposite direction towards, towards the open sea, as far as he can, away from God. And, and as we think about this, I want you to ask you a question, really. I wonder if you've ever been a little bit like Jonah. I wonder if you've ever battled with God. Have you ever run away from Him in one way or another? Maybe not physically, maybe you didn't climb out the bedroom window and down some sheets or something like that and run away from God, but maybe you've forged ahead on a different path than you knew He wanted you to take. When I was a kid, um, I've been in churches all my life, ever since I was a kid, and we used to have church camps, and uh, my primary school teacher... uh, actually came and spoke at our church camp, which was a little bit awkward for me. Uh, You don't want to see your primary school teachers once you're in secondary school, uh, let alone at social occasions. And uh, she was someone who had left her life here in Australia to share Jesus with people in Indonesia. She'd become a, a missionary. And one thing she said at the church camp really struck me. She said that she'd always, when she'd prayed to God, she'd always said to him, God, I'll do anything for you, anything at all, 
but don't make me a missionary. (laughs) Don't make me a missionary. Don't make me leave and do that task because that's the one thing I'm putting over the line and I'm saying I'm not willing to do for you. Everything else, everything else over here is on the table. This one small thing is not. And amusingly, God's often amusing with these things, uh, God had caught up with her and she'd been in Indonesia for some time and I actually think she's still there. Our first thing that we want to talk about today is that God is sovereign. Now, that might be a strange word to you, and we'll get to what that means in a little bit. But God doesn't let people go from the call that He places on their lives. So far in Jonah, we've seen Jonah try to run from the call of the God, physically trying to flee from God's presence towards the open sea. He's gambled that if he runs from the place where God most often speaks, if he's far enough away from the worshipping people of God, the temple of God and and the place where God had his presence, then maybe God might just give up on Jonah and choose another prophet to speak through. So he's run and this week we see God's response. So let's have a look at that. Jonah's taken a ship to the open sea. He's gone down out of everybody's way into the depths of the ship for a sleep. And while he's down there, God hurls a storm onto the sea. Now the sea which Jonah had run to turns against him. The sea is so fearsome, in fact, that hardened sailors are in fear of their lives. I don't spend much time on the sea. And maybe I don't understand what this looks like. But these sailors are scared. I wonder if you've ever had an encounter uh, with the ocean or the sea like that. Uh, I was actually at Barwon Heads this morning, away on a family weekend. Uh, And at Barwon Heads, about 15 years ago, uh, when Jude was about eight months pregnant with uh, our eldest son, uh, we were down at Bowen Heads uh, on the little beach there. I don't know if you've been down to little beaches there. There's lots of sandbanks and you can go down there and see the crabs and poke around. And you can sort of wander out sort of below knee depth and make it most of the way across the river um, before you've encountered, yeah, before you can just wander across. I actually did that when I was about three years old when my parents weren't looking. <laughs> Great. Uh, but we were doing that and, and we saw this last little bit before we got to the other side of the river. It was maybe about eight or ten metres across and we thought, oh yeah, um, we'll just continue through there. It's a little bit deeper, but looks fine. <laughs> Some of you may have tried this as well. And down at Bowen Heads, you may not know that there's this often really strong current. There's nothing for most of the river. And then there's a really strong current as the tide goes out that's so surprising. Jude and I got in, eight months pregnant. I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> what either of us were thinking. We get in and about one metre in, um, maybe two metres in, we realised... I think, we didn't say it to each other, but we realised that we may be in a little bit of trouble. I'm sitting there watching my pregnant wife and all she can do is pretty much dog paddle at that point and yeah, trying to cheer her up and go, yep, everything's good, we're all peachy, let's just keep going. And you're swimming and swimming and then you look up and you know closer to the water and it's scary. It's scary. And that's a little river. God has hurled a storm upon the ocean. And the sailors start crying out to their gods. 
Uh, the sailors' view of their gods is an interesting one. We don't often have this in Western society now, but there are sort of three types of god. There's the national god. Um, there's also the family or the clan gods, and there's personal gods. So first up, the, the big gods. These are like the gods of war, the god of the sea, uh, the gods of healing, and the little gods, sort of the god of dance, the god of craftsmanship, the god of orchards and fruit. All these gods sort of existed, but they were capricious. The gods, you were never quite sure what they would do. Um, sometimes they didn't or couldn't pay attention. Uh, sometimes they just didn't care enough. Uh, sometimes their eyes were closed. Sometimes they just weren't thinking about people. Sometimes they just didn't care or couldn't be bothered. And so we find that each man calls out to his God, hoping that they might just be paying attention. We see this in the second half of verse C, where the God might give a thought to us. It's kind of chance. What will they be doing? Will they be paying attention? After battling the storm for a while, the sailors are so fearful that they're prepared now to lose all financial gain to save their lives. And so they start digging through the cargo. They throw out the cargo and even some of the ship's bits, we're told. They start taking off bits of the ship. I don't know what, what, what they can do that with, but they're throwing it all overboard in a last-ditch attempt. In fact, maybe that's even, just as I say it, where last-ditch comes from. I'm not sure. They're throwing out everything, hurling out the cargo. And as they go through the cargo hold, emptying it out, they come across Jonah there, of all things, asleep. And the captain gets him up shakes him awake maybe. Jonah is asked to throw out his prayer, hoping one extra God in the mix might help. But the gods aren't doing anything about it. They're on their own. What can the sailors do? Well, they start casting lots. Maybe they've got straws, short straws on board. Maybe they've got some dust, maybe something else. And God chooses to use a pagan ritual to point his finger right at Jonah. Lots aren't the most communicative way of giving out the details. It's something to do with Jonah, they now know, but what? They pepper him with questions. What do you do? Where are you from? What kind of God are you dealing with? And Jonah's answer is sobering for the sailors because he's not talking about any old God. He's not talking about the God of dance or the God of craftsmanship or the God of left-handed screwdrivers. Jonah says, this is the God of heaven, the God over all things. This is the sovereign God. Now, when we talk about sovereignty, uh, maybe I want to take a quote from someone called R.C. Sproul. Uh, sovereignty, he says, is a natural attribute of the Creator. It's part of Him. God owns what He makes, and He rules what He owns. God directs every process and orders every event for the fulfilling of his own eternal plan. All things are either caused by him or allowed by him for his own purposes. 
and through his perfect will and timing. If we want to put it simply, God is in control. He's in charge. He's the great God of heaven, the God over all gods. He's the creator of all things, land and sea, and has power over them all. Unlike the small gods, his eyes are always open to every event of this world. God gives a thought to all people. He owns the sea and commands it. And the sailors are just starting to figure this out. Jonah and the sailors are specks floating on a splinter on the ocean that God held in the palm of his hand. The sea is God's, the land is God's, all of creation belongs to him. Jonah, the sailors, Nineveh, every single one of us in this room are made by God, owned by God, and ruled by God. Whether you acknowledge it or not, like Jonah. Maybe this is a hard thing to say, but you are not in charge of your world. We tend to idolise our own sovereignty, don't we? Uh, We think we're in charge and we can do whatever we want. We think we answer to ourselves, but we don't. We think we can decide the course of our lives, but we can't. We think that our call on our lives is the only one that matters. And that we get to decide how much of Jesus' call to take up. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. When he says, I bought you with my blood and you are mine. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. I have to ask, how much obedience have you decided is enough obedience? Have you said that God can take 25%? Maybe you've been really generous and you've said God can have 50%. Maybe you've decided that God can have a mere 90% of the sovereignty that he's due. God is God. When you choose 90%, you're proclaiming to your creator that you are still sovereign over 10%. You're rebelling against him over 10% of your life. It's, it's easy, isn't it? And maybe we all do this, to look at Jonah and say, what a fool for disobeying God. Couldn't you see this coming? We know the story and we, we tend to react in that way without seeing that we do the same. Isn't the grace of God such a necessary and beautiful thing? Aren't we in need of mercy just like Jonah is? 
Aren't we thankful that our sovereign God didn't just call us, but that he came to us and that he came to forgive and to save, not to condemn? Shouldn't we be desperately thankful that Jesus gave the Father 100%, that he lived the perfect 100% type of life without rebellion, that he said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. And that he bowed his will to the Father, even to the point of death and enduring the wrath of God. We need to recognize the sovereignty of God just like he did. That's the first thing we want to talk about, that God is sovereign. The second thing, and the last thing, is that our sovereign God is worthy of awe. Look at the reaction of the sailors to this sovereign God. Jonah tells them what to do. Throw them overboard, but they don't. They row like crazy out of fear of God. They don't want the guilt of Jonah's blood before this powerful sovereign God. Eventually, the sailors throw Jonah in with a prayer. Don't, you know, you're telling us to do this. Don't blame us. And the storm stops. Now, at this point, it could have been coincidence, couldn't it? A storm could have just come up. The sailors don't believe that, but maybe we do. I wonder if you've ever had a time when God has made it clear that he's there and watching. Have you ever had that in your life? You've had a time when God's made it clear that he's there and watching. They throw Jonah over, and it seems that instantaneously the storm stops which storms don't typically do. The storm stops and the sailors say, OMG. Not in the trivial and careless way that it's used in our culture. But they clearly see the sovereignty of God and they respond with a deep and respectful awe, which is a good way to translate the fear of the Lord, a deep and respectful awe. And it's not just a spur-of-the-moment thing either. If we read in our passage, it says that the sailors went on to make a sacrifice and offered vows. This has to have happened long after the storm. They made sacrifices, but not in a boat. I mean, they've just thrown out all their cargo. It seems really unbelievable that they might have kept a couple of small animals or, or something else in order to make some sacrifices in case it all worked out. They've thrown everything overboard. They would have done it whether there was a shrine or a high place to Yahweh, maybe even to the temple. These sailors have encountered God in all his sovereignty and have newfound respect and awe for him. Do we? Maybe we're guilty of trivializing God. Do we take God seriously? Do we realize what a privilege it is to come into the throne room, the throne room of God when we pray? Yes, I mean, we, we enter as a son or a daughter of the Father and we can bring our sin and our troubles and our pain to him. But do we know this for the privilege that it is? Do you ever meditate on his power and sovereignty 
Are you entranced by his descriptions of himself? Measuring the waters in the hollow of his hands. The nations being as a drop in the bucket to him. That he brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. I wonder if we take Jesus seriously. Or do we see him as a little more than a wise man? Some type of Gandhi or Buddha figure? Or do you think of him as the king sitting at the right hand of God with the angels and all the saints praising his name for all eternity, coming again on the clouds to judge the earth with righteousness? Maybe you do see him as king, but as the future king, not your king now. One day he'll ask things of you, but not so much now. He probably doesn't mind so much how I spend my day or what I live for or what my heart desires. He doesn't really ask me for my time, my passions or my bank account yet. Do we hear Jesus' call to follow? Jonah's call to follow was very specific, wasn't it? Stop disobeying turn around, come back and go to Nineveh. Maybe your call to follow might be specific too. Follow Jesus away from sin. Follow Jesus into mission. Follow Jesus financially into service, into leadership and on and on and on. Whatever it is for you. Take God seriously, because awe is due as sovereign God. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for the story of Jonah. Thank you for how you teach us today through it. We marvel, Father, at who you are. We marvel at how you sit enthroned in heaven above, how you have every aspect of this world under your control. We marvel at how you sent your son to be in it and to obey you perfectly so that we might be forgiven when we do not. And Lord, we see your call to follow and we pray that you might send your spirit into our hearts. Convict us and call us again, and that we might follow, Lord, because, Father, you are worthy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.